The EC Podcast exists to equip believers to make disciples and love others for the glory of Jesus Christ. I'm your host for today, Pastor Jonathan Mitchell. We have a little break in our normal EC Podcast content. However, we wanted to take the time for the next few weeks to post three of our midweek teachings in our series called Culture and the Gospel. So this week is our first lesson, which was on sexuality. Give this lesson a listen as we discuss the biblical definition of sexuality and how the gospel shapes and redeems all that sin and culture has taken and corrupted. We pray and trust that this will bless you. Good evening, everyone. Everyone is having a good week. If you have your Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 1 with me. We'll be bouncing around a lot tonight, but we'll start there. So tonight is our first ever, I think, family integrated worship uh, midweek service. So we are, this is the direction the elders here felt led to go through prayer. And we're very excited about this time together. I'm excited to see everyone together in worship. And we wanted to do this because, as we said Sunday, we want to build up not only just a family inside of our church, but build up the families that make up our family. And so tonight we're going to begin uh, our first series of messages in a series called Culture and the Gospel. And the reason we felt led to do this is because Right now, uh, whether you are the youngest person in this room or the oldest person in this room, you're dealing with what society is telling you is right or wrong. Everyone feel that kind of angst? And the way that you navigate those things, the way that you talk about those things in your friendships, amongst your family, even the people that you might call your enemies, causes probably a lot of anxiety. And we want to gather around and say, what does God say about these issues? Because God does have something to say about everything we're going to be talking about. And so I want to begin tonight and help us understand in regards to this message. And I I just want to give a little bit of a preface, um, just in case you didn't see what we are talking about tonight. And if you need to make a last minute decision, we are going to be talking about sexuality tonight. And so I know it's a pretty tense subject, but undoubtedly everyone in here has been introduced in some shape or form into probably what you should be thinking about it right now. And why we want to address this, uh, I found in some research just on morality, a good reason why we should be engaging with this topic tonight and every topic going forward. So listen to some of this. Uh, when I did some research about how we understand what is moral, the moral compass, listen to what the Barner Research Group had to say about this subject. It says, looking at some basic principles, there's a curious generational shift in the moral compass of Americans, with some awareness that teens' views may still be quite pliable, which means easily bent, flexible. We'll focus on the respondents who indicate the highest level of agreement with these statements in order to show who those presently most committed to these beliefs. So the ones who like strongly agree. 
So at this extreme end, one quarter of Gen Z, and Gen Z is those born from 1999 to 2015, and they said that only teens 13 to 18 are included in, in this study. All right, 24% strongly agrees that what is morally right or wrong changes over time based on society. And then there's, there's a wide generational divide at this point. So twice as many Gen Z than boomers, boomers are people born from 1946 to 1964, believe this. Listen to this quote. I think it may be on the screen. The, central of the, self as, or the centrality of the self as moral arbiter is also higher among the younger generations. 21% of Gen Z and 23% of millennials believe each individual is his or own, her own moral authority. So Gen X and boomers still kind of high, but we see this growing trend. They go on to say, as mentioned, these are only the proportions who strongly agree. So those are the, like on the farthest end of this spectrum. So there's some who, who agree, but might not strongly agree with that statement. And they go on to say, uh, perhaps just a hint of a broader public acceptance that mor- morality can be fluid. Listen to this. Teens and Barna's focus groups elaborated on their perspective. One participant said, society changes and what's good or bad changes as well. It's all relative to what's happening in the world. That's pretty astounding. So because there are many issues of morality that drastically shift when self becomes the final authority, we want to zoom in on this specific issue in our culture that seems to be the God above all things. If you listen to our podcast, this is what sells things, right? Why, when we want a Hardy's burger, do we put a girl in a bikini on a car? That has nothing to do with a burger, but that's what sells. And so we're, we're going to be talking about why this specific thing that seems to kind of run society is we need to know what, what God says on this issue because in society and in our culture, it's shifting every single day because we, we decide that we are the moral arbiters to what's right and wrong. Listen to this. This is how sexuality is defined by a secular worldview. The University of Louisville says, sexuality encompasses nearly every aspect of our being, from attitudes and values to feelings and experiences. Notice that they're tying sexuality to everything that you are. Listen to this from the Sexuality Education Resource Center. Sexuality is a word we use to talk about how we understand our bodies and how we understand our relationships. This understanding includes all aspects of who we are, our values and beliefs, bodies, desires, relationships, gender, and our thoughts and feelings about all of these. I'm not going to get into gender tonight because pastor, or not pastor, uh, Chase, sorry. You know, maybe that was the Lord. Maybe that was some prophecy over you. Um, sorry, all you uh, cessationists. Um, <laughs> but Chase is going to be talking about that in a few weeks. Um, So I'm not going to get into all that tonight, but know that these two are pretty well tied together. But listen to what it goes on to say. So this, our thoughts and feelings about these, listen to what it says right here at the end. The most important thing to understand about sexuality is that it is self-defined. That is that every person is allowed to talk about and understand their own sexuality in their own way that makes sense to them. These are leading voices in our world telling our children and everyone else, this is how sexuality is defined. So this is where we want to intersect 
our thinking tonight with what the word of God says. As Christians, where the rubber meets the road on this issue is not our personal feelings about this. It's definitely not our, uh, our culture's understanding of these things. What matters is not how you feel, how I feel, or how anyone outside these four walls feel. What matters is what God says in his word. And this is why, because in Psalm 100, verse 3, it says, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So who is God? Who made us? If the Lord is, is God, and he is, if the Lord has made all things, and he has, then we submit to him and his design. So we say this when we talk about marriage, and we'll talk a little bit about marriage tonight. We say this when we talk about roles and relationships. We say this when we talk about enjoying hobbies. We say this when we talk about serving and loving. If the Lord designed and created all things, then he, what he says goes. It's our responsibility to submit to him. So listen to this definition of sexuality. This is from the Gospel Coalition. It says, a Christian framework for gender and sexuality begins with understanding that each find their origin Structure and purpose within God's will for creation. Gender and sexuality from a Christian perspective are enchanted realities with divine meaning and purpose. They go on to say that sexuality is designed by God and for God. Think about Romans eleven thirty six: for from him, through him, and to him are all, thing, all things to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So it's not just something that I get to decide and what I do with it. That's what it is. They go on to comment on that sentence. They say, in light of redemption, the original design and purpose of gender and sexuality are reaffirmed and heightened as the New Testament explains their telos to reflect the Christ church union. The assumption that gender and sexuality are ordered by God and for God stands in stark contrast to modernity's view that uh, divinizes, which means make a God out of gender and sexuality. Understanding both to be ordered to and determined by consent and human will alone. So what the Bible says versus what, what society and culture says, culture says you decide. And what you decide, everyone has to respect. And so if Pastor Aaron thinks something about himself, I have to respect it because that's how he feels. And if Dakota feels something about himself, the same. And it's all just whatever you want it to be. What the Christian says is God made it for his glory it's by him and for him and what he says goes. So I would say that before anything tonight, before we dive into what sexuality is, we need to understand that our struggle, especially on this topic, is not so much a battle of our feelings, but a battle of what our authority is. Like, do we say that we believe in God? Do we say that we believe that God is the creator and author of all things? Do we say that God is the one who sent his son to redeem us from our sin? But a lot of us can gladly say that. But when it comes to clearly defining what sin is, often we look to our own feelings and our culture to define what is good and what is not. So we'll say, yeah, thank you, God, for saving me from sin. But when it comes to defining the sin that he saved us from, we start getting very gray where God's been very clear. So before we dive into the word tonight, I'm gonna to ask us to pray each individually and let us ask God this evening to search our hearts. Who is our final authority? What is our ultimate authority? Is it God and his word? Or is it self and desire? Is it society and culture? Who or what is our final authority? So will you pray with me? 
Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the Lord and you are God. And God, we know that you are good. So I ask, knowing right now all the tense feelings in this subject, I feel it, that we submit to you and to your word, that we trust that you are good and perfect, and that in your creation and your design, you do what is good for your people. So help us to rely on who you are and what you've clearly stated in your word to be the ultimate authority on everything we say and do. Father, we thank you for all things that you've given us, but mostly that you would send your son Jesus to live the life we could not live and to die the death that we deserved in our place, to raise victoriously from the grave. And we know and believe that anyone who calls upon his name will be saved. So we praise you for that truth tonight. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. All right. So we're going to look at two uh, specific areas of sexuality tonight real quickly. And then we're going to do a quick closing. And we're going to offer a little bit of time of discussion. This is something we kind of want to build into every time we meet. And we're going to allow that to be kind of more age Um, especially for the, our younger, uh, people in here, maybe gender appropriate. So, um, so two things we're going to talk about sexuality first in first sexuality and relationship. We're going to go to the foundation, the beginning for that. That's why we said Genesis one. So look at Genesis one, 26 through 28 with me. The word of the Lord says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the, of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So as we said before here, this is kind of a 30,000 foot view of creation. And Genesis 2 is a real zoomed in view of creation. So now look at Genesis 2, flip maybe a page or two. In verse 20, you have God's already created Adam. And it says in verse 20 and following, the man gave names to all livestock, to the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was, found, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs, closed up, its place with flesh and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So from these texts and the creation narrative, we see that God creates we didn't read all of that, all what God created, but God is the creator, as we've already looked at, heavens and earth. And then he creates man and he creates them male and female in his image. And in his infinite wisdom, in this divine declaration, God brings Adam and Eve together to be joined in relationship and to become one flesh, which we know as marriage. So God creates marriage and defines marriage. So by God's design, look at this, marriage is between one man and one woman. The Nashville Statement, which is something that's going to govern our discussion after this, 
says this in Article 1. God has designed marriage to be a covenantal, sexual, procreative, lifelong union of one man and one woman as husband and wife. And it is meant to signify the covenant love between Christ and his bride, the church. So marriage is not a test drive for like a car. Marriage is not just so some ho-hum thing. Marriage is a covenant before God and with your spouse that is sexual, procreative, and lifelong. And it's meant to point everyone you're around and each other in the relationship to Christ's union with his church. Now, Jesus affirms this in Matthew 19 when he's questioned about divorce. Look at verses four and six. I think they're up on the screen, so you don't have to flip there if you don't want to. It says, he answered, you, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they, they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Marriage is joined together by God between one man, one woman. Paul reiterates this in Ephesians 5, verse 31 and following. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now in from Genesis to Jesus and Matthew to Paul in Ephesians 5, all this inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to write his word. Marriage is defined as one man and one woman in covenant relationship becoming one flesh. And I want us to, to understand this tonight because this is really, really important. I talk to every couple that I do premarital counseling with. How we view and how we treat marriage is not just the picture that we're going to give the people around us of Christ's union with his church. It is that, and that's super important. Like, this is the highest, highest privilege we will ever have in human relationship to mirror the covenant of Christ and his church. But how we view and how we treat marriage also tells us about our willingness individually to submit to Christ as his church on whether or not we trust his word on this specific issue. And so if you're willing, if you're willing to compromise in these areas, if you're willing to say, you know, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone or whatever, you know, I think it's between one man and one woman, but, you know, you do the ho-hum thing, you're saying, you're saying that you're not willing to submit to Christ and his word on this issue. And you're not mirroring a covenant love. It's a dangerous thing to decide what is true or not on whether it hurts someone else. Amen to that? But what I find so interesting about this is we're, we're willing to say, well, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone, it's okay. But we're willing in that statement to trample on God's grace in the process. God's been gracious to give us his word to reveal what is right before him and wrong before him. And we're willing for the sake of feeling and not hurting anyone else to trample on God's word and God's design and say, we have a better idea of human relationship and marriage than he does. So even in this scenario of thinking, I'm not hurting anyone by my own decisions, you're proudly stomping on the authority of God's word. 
God forgive us for that. And I've heard a lot recently because I thought about, man, do we have time for the rebuttals? Not a lot. And I want to point you to one of the best ones. <laughs> but lately you see a lot of this, like, hey, you know, the word homosexuality didn't even appear in the New Testament until 1946. You know, and it's just something that's been mistranslated and that's not what it means. Or the word translated homosexuality is actually about adult males that assault young boys. Well, I would just simply ask you to listen to the sermon titled Arsenicoitus by James White. We'll post it on Facebook tonight. And seriously, give it a listen. It'll take an hour of your time, or if you want to put YouTube up to one and a half speed, a little less. But you will be thankful that you listen to it because, well, he knows Greek a little bit better than me and probably anyone in this room. And it is very, very helpful on this issue. But once again, we're willing to twist and trample on God's word for the sake of not hurting anyone else. So sexual relationship and sexuality and relationship we're talking about in this context, it's always God's definition is one man, one woman in a union, nothing else. And we can talk about, well, you know, you've even heard it, I've heard it said by a pastor that God whispers about homosexuality. Well, even if you want to go that route, okay? Okay, yeah, there's not a lot of verses that talk about homosexuality. In every affirmation of what marriage is, it is always between one man and one woman. So no matter how we wiggle, we're still coming to the same conclusion. God's word speaks quite clearly on this subject. So now let's talk about not only sexuality and relationship, but let's talk about sexual activity. Hebrews 13, 4. This is a good verse to memorize. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Church, you are not free to do whatever you want, whenever you want with your body. That's not freedom, my friends. Actually, that's being enslaved to your own self-gratification. For the Christian, we submit to God, the creator of all things, the giver of good gifts, like sex, and walk in obedience to him. Paul addresses this subject in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. He's, he's quoting a philosophy at the time that all things are lawful for me. But he says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. He goes on to say in verse 17, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Listen to this, because you're joined to the Lord, you've been set free to do this. Flee from sexual immorality. When you're enslaved to self-gratification, the thinking that I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, you don't flee sexual immorality, you run to it. But by the grace of God, by the spirit of God indwelling you, you and I have been set free to flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person uh, sins against his own body. Listen to this. These are good words. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Man, what a, what a truth and reality for us to remember. I'm not my own. I've been bought by the precious blood of Jesus. And God, God commands that sexual activity 
be experienced exclusively within the marital relationship of one man and one woman. That's when one flesh occurs. So sexual immorality, listen, because this is important, is any sexual activity outside the context of a marriage relationship. So some of us are thinking, oh, you know, this, this subject isn't really for me. You know, John must be talking to the people that are struggling with homosexuality, and that's it. Well, no, I'm not just talking to people struggling with homosexuality. This is for you too. Because just because your lust is heterosexual doesn't mean it's not a sin against God. Just because your adultery wasn't a homosexual act doesn't mean it's not a sin against God. So sexual morality is any sexual activity outside the context of a marriage relationship. This is why the writer of Hebrews says, let marriage be held in honor among all and the marriage bed be undefiled. We submit to God in all these areas. I surrender my sexuality, even if it's something I think I don't struggle with, just because I'm a heterosexual. No, I submit to God. Because my body is not my own. I've been bought with a price. Paul, said, Paul writes, just back up a few verses in 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do, you, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then the good news. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Praise be to God. So in regards to sexuality, there are many ways to, to pervert God's good design for sexual activity. And any lifestyle that devotes itself to these perversions for the sake of, I'm free to do whatever I want, whenever I want, those people will not inherit the kingdom of God. But those who have been washed, been sanctified, and been justified in the name of Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God will inherit the kingdom of God. And those of us who have been, who have been washed and justified and sanctified, we believe and trust that we are not our own. We've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. So the fight is at this point, whether we believe that freedom is God graciously keeping us from things that will harm us and graciously giving us things that will promote our good for his glory, or if we believe the lie that freedom is doing whatever we want, whenever we want with our bodies that will ultimately lead to our death. Do you trust God and his good design? So we have sexuality and relationship, we have sexual activity, and then I want to briefly just say this. In regards to identity, it's really scary. I read a book not too long ago where our children are getting asked to identify themselves in regards to sexual orientation, fourth, fifth, sixth grade. And I would just say this simply, what's the goal when we think about the gospel and sexuality? I would say this is the important truth that we need to hear tonight. We need to stop believing the lie that the most important thing about me the thing that defines me are the things that Christ has died to redeem me from. A lot of us are living and we see this in our culture. People identify themselves by their sexual orientation, by their gender, their pronouns, etc. 
The people of God identify themselves by the blood of Jesus. I think about when ISIS was running rampant. Do you remember that? Like, pretty scary time. I remember when ISIS was really growing, there were videos being uploaded on YouTube so fast every day of them killing Christians that you could watch one before it got taken down. That's how fast they were being uploaded. And ISIS... One of their fear tactics was to go by buildings, by homes and businesses, and identify them with the Arabic letter Noon. I think we have it. Um, it's an Arabic letter. Um, uh, yeah, that. maybe you saw that. And what they were doing was, this home, this business is a Christian home or business. And they were marking it to say, soon you will be exterminated. But what was really cool was for Christians, this became a rallying cry. And what you started seeing like on on Twitter profiles and Facebook profiles is people putting this symbol as their picture. And in a very small way, I want us to understand that this is the identity that matters. Like when people come in contact with me, I want them to know one important thing. And look, I'm proud to be Kara's husband. I'm proud to be Damien's dad. I don't care if people think of me as an okay golfer. I know people think of me as a pastor at a church. But what I really want people to know is one thing. I'm a follower of Jesus, bought by his blood, redeemed, washed, sanctified, and justified by him. And why would I leave with the caveat of I am a blank Christian. I'm an adulterous Christian. I'm a greedy Christian. I'm a swindling Christian. I'm a sexually immoral Christian. I'm a homosexual Christian. Why would I lead with that when Jesus has died to save me from it? That's what we want to understand tonight. So as we close, I'm going to ask you two questions and I'm going to pray and I'm going to allow us some time to um, to discuss, and I brought um, the, this Nashville statement. So it's a coalition for biblical sexuality. This is a statement signed by uh, many, many pastors on uh, biblical sexuality. And I marked the ones that might need you just go ahead and discuss. You might not get to all of them tonight. Uh, the ones I didn't mark are not less important. They're just maybe not directly about what we're talking about tonight, maybe more on what Chase is in a, in a few weeks. So I want to ask two questions. I want to pray, and then we'll give you time to discuss. Okay? So two questions. Number one, is God's word your authority? Look, I know, especially in this subject, the word might offend you tonight. You know what? I want to encourage you. There's many times I read the word of God and it offends me. It hurts. I don't like it. I don't like that it said that. And I've learned that my prayer is quickly to repent because I am the flawed one, not God. So when the word offends you, does it lead you to repentance or does it lead you to rebellion? Is God's word your authority? And then secondly, what is your identity? As a blood-bought follower of Jesus Christ, our identity should be that. As a follower of Jesus, if our identity is that, then we should obey his commandments. Meaning that in regards to sexuality, 
we submit to what he's defined in his word. So listen to this. This is very, very important. The goal for everyone struggling in any area of sexuality tonight is for you to look more like Jesus. Simply that, to be holy. We desire your holiness. And in walking in holiness, it means denying things that would lead you to slavery and death. And so that's simply what I want to leave it at, is deny self and sin for the sake of following Jesus. And God has said, look, I gladly through, the, through my son's blood and by my grace give you the strength to do that. So what is your identity? Follower of Jesus or anything else? I pray that follower of Jesus is the one that matters to us. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity to spend time in your word tonight. Pray just as we discuss this matter. Pray that we would submit to your authority what it says to believe that it's true, to know that even if it hurts us, you as a good shepherd only wound your sheep to heal them. So we ask by your grace tonight that if that's what needs to take place, you do it for your glory. I ask God that you would help us to only seek identity and value by the very truth that we have been bought, not by silver or gold, but by the precious blood of your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today on the EC Podcast. If you do not have a church family, you can join us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. If you are outside the area, we pray that you find a Bible-believing church for fellowship and worship. Until next time, God bless.